to you and to your word, Lord, that we might apply your word to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If children, God's kids, if they haven't been dismissed, um, please take your kids over. And one just quick reminder, uh, there is a ministry focus meeting. This is for all the, the leadership of any, if, you, if you're in charge of a ministry, at 10 to 12 in the assembly room, we're having ministry focus meeting from, from probably from 12 to 1.30 or so. But um, plan on being there in the assembly room over across the street. Well, again, as I said today, we're continuing our series on That's Our God. He was there, he is here, and he always will be. I think sometimes we take for granted our children's ministries. How many of you remember today we're looking at this Pharisee named Nicodemus and his coming to Jesus Christ at night? How many of you, as a kid, remember hearing this story? Anybody? A lot of you. A lot of you. You know, Chris and I have a, a friend from Southeastern Bible College that he came to Christ senior year in high school. And he played basketball, and at Southeastern they used vans to travel to basketball games. And Dave grew up in a Catholic church, and they never, he never heard the stories. And so he would always find a seat right next to a guy named Rod Phillips, who was a senior. And he would, he would sit down by me and say, tell me another story. Tell me one of those stories from the Bible, because he didn't know them. I just want to remind us as we look at God's Word, we as a church have a responsibility to train up our kids that they may know this God and His power. We as parents have a responsibility to have our children in these ministries. Well, some time ago there was an article in a, in a paper about a, the president of a well-known university who was speaking to an elite group of business people and civic leaders, and the experience he shared with them, they all found very interesting and very funny. The president of the, of the university shared how, during Christmas, he happened to pass by the Salvation Army uh, kettle. And as he paused to put money in the kettle, the lady there said to him, Sir, are you saved? And the president of the university said, I told her, I suppose so. She wasn't satisfied. And so she pursued the matter a little more, and she said, I mean, have you given your life, all your life, to Jesus Christ? And at this point, the president of the university so he felt like he needed to enlighten this worker as to who he was. And then he said, Miss, I am the president of so-and-so university. And by that fact, I'm also president of our seminary. Well, the worker there at the, at the uh, place thought a minute, and she said, Sir, It doesn't matter what you are or what you've done, you can still be saved. Today, if we were, as we look at the life of Nicodemus, in, a, in the same way, similar way, Nicodemus was an educator. He was well-educated. He was the teacher of the people of Israel, we'll see. 
And maybe he might well have asked the same question, or rather responded to the questions in the same way. Well, our passage today is in John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Nicodemus comes seeking answers from Jesus Christ. As he comes asking questions, Jesus responds, and we see each response leads to another question. And it moves from him finding out who Jesus is to a better understanding of what being saved is all about or what the gospel is. Let's look at the setting, though. It's important to know what's going on. Jesus had began his public ministry, and as people heard him speak, they recognized that there was a difference in the way he taught compared to the Jewish leaders. It says that he taught as one having authority, not like them. It says that his power was obvious by the healings and by uh, the, the, the laying on of hands and, and, and working in people's lives where people were healed and the performing of miracles and signs, casting out of demons. It says that crowds were amazed. They were amazed by Christ's teachings. And up to this point... There are two basic responses to Jesus' ministry. Many were coming to Christ. They were being saved. They were becoming children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Then you had this group of Jewish leadership. And they were looking already, questioning his authority. And just before this is when Jesus had cleaned out the temple. And they didn't like that. So you had those two groups up until this point. And then at this point, in just the two verses or so before this, in John chapter 2, if you want to look there, John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, we see that it says that many believed in his name, in Jesus' name, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus didn't entrust himself, himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew all people. Well, the whole book of, of, of the Gospel of John is, is kind of summarized in John twenty thirty one, and it gives a purpose. It says, These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But we see that not all faith is the same. Not all faith is adequate. How do we know? Because here that one passage already says that there's some who said they believed, but Christ didn't entrust himself to them. And then secondly, right following up behind that is the story today of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes at night when the streets of Jerusalem are dark and quiet. He's a leader of the Jews. And he goes to find Jesus. He had seen Jesus performing miracles. And after seeing the miracles, there was an unrest within him. He knew that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. Because the Messiah was to come as a king. And the Messiah was to remove the Romans from rulership. The Messiah wasn't to be some simple, gentle individual. And for sure... The Messiah was not to be a carpenter. And yet, 
And yet, there was something about this Jesus that grabbed Nicodemus' heart, grabbed his mind. He, he couldn't figure it out. He had lots of religion, but no real spiritual life. He saw the supernatural work of Jesus and what he had done. He had never done any of that. He chose to see Jesus that night. Some have said because he was afraid. Maybe so. But maybe, maybe Nicodemus just came because he really honestly wanted to find out this identity of Jesus Christ and who he was. Maybe he wanted to have some peace and quiet because he knew that during the day that Jesus was busy. Well, who is this Nicodemus? As I've said, and it says there in the first verse or so, he was a man of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a group of, of leaders who were conservative in their theology and had all these rules to follow. He was also a ruler of the Jews. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. This 70 or so council ruled the Jews and gave oversight. He was a teacher of Israel. He was a theological and philosophical uh, man who, who, who knew much, but he had many questions. As I mentioned earlier, these first 15 verses in, in the Gospel of John can really be taken as a series of questions, three questions. Nicodemus asks a question. He's coming again, wanting to know who Jesus is. And as it moves through the process, we see the, the focus going from who is Jesus to what Nicodemus needs? Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Nicodemus thought that he knew a lot about Jesus because of the signs. He thought that he had a good handle. And you look at the first question, it seems like it's a statement, but the truth is, it's implied. The first question really is, who are you? Who are you, Jesus? We know you're from God. Are you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? Are you going to bring in the kingdom? Are you going to overthrow the Romans? Well, Jesus gets to the point. He wastes no time. He tells Nicodemus he must be born again. He must be born from above. He says, you will never see the kingdom of God without being born again. You'll never see the kingdom of God. Another way to say that is, you'll never enter into the kingdom of God until you've been born from above. What does it mean to be born from above or born of God or born again? This word here is a, is a in, in Greek, is a passive tense for the word that we have um, for Genesis. And just like a mother giving birth, the child has nothing to do with it. It's passive. In the same way, Jesus is saying there's a spiritual renewal that takes place when we see this from God. This word, though, is where we get regeneration. There's no spiritual life, though, without rebirth, without regeneration. Well, this wasn't the answer that Nicodemus wanted. Again, he came wanting to find out, who are you, Jesus? Who are you? Are you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? 
And Jesus just turns the tables and says, you must be born again. Nicodemus was upset. He didn't like it. And the interesting thing is Jesus knows all people. Nicodemus didn't say, he didn't even mention the kingdom. But Christ knew what he was looking at. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, says, Nicodemus for years had taught others the conditions for entrance into the kingdom of God. Conditions cast in terms of obedience to God's commands, devotion to God, happy submission to his will. But here, he's facing a condition that he's never heard of. The absolute requirement of birth from above. In one sentence, Jesus sweeps away all that Nicodemus stood for, all that he had believed in. And Christ demands that Nicodemus be remade by the power of God. Now, what you think for a moment? Suppose that you're some renowned pianist, trained by the best of the concert pianist in the world. And when you play, when you perform, people listen. People come in just huge crowds to hear you. Everyone hails you as the master pianist. And then this young man who comes in from, let's say, Alabama, or from the Ozarks. He's had no lessons. He learned to play the piano on his grandmother's rundown instrument. And when he comes in here to Chicago, or in his case to Jerusalem, he plays in crowds, just crowd in. Tears come down as he plays. You listen, and you better than anyone else. You, you know, you know that you'll never have that. You listen, you recognize that musical genius, and you wish you had his abilities. This may be the way Nicodemus felt. Remember, he was lifted up high among the Jewish people. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, a teacher. Maybe for his notoriety, think along the lines of Billy Graham at his popularity level. And yet, when this Jesus, when, when he hears Jesus teach, Nicodemus hears answers to questions that have bothered him all his life. He watches crowds as they listen to Jesus. He sees their response. Jesus speaks in simple terms, and yet very powerfully. Nicodemus observes his miracles and knows that he's never performed one. In his heart, Nicodemus probably knew he didn't hold a candle to Jesus. This should be a warning for us. Nicodemus was a very religious man. He studied God's word. He was a ruler. 
should warn us that it doesn't matter what family we come from. It doesn't matter how much we know about God's Word. It doesn't matter what our doctrinal position is, so to speak, in one sense, or how clever we are, or how many degrees we have. Christ says to us today, we must be born again. We must be born again. Well, in his sarcasm, as Nicodemus is more and more frustrated, he's trying to show the, the total uselessness, the obscurity of a man crawling back into his mother's wombs. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter back into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus' response to him was, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Again, remember that passive word, therefore, for born. Birth is something that people can't do. Children never bring themselves into this world. The mother gives birth. In the same way, unregenerate people don't regenerate themselves. It's the Spirit of God working in us. That's, that's the Spirit's work. And just as we depend on our parents for physical birth, we must depend on the Holy Spirit for spiritual birth. John 1, verses 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of man, or the flesh, rather, or the will of man, but of God. See, it's not about man, it's God working in us. Well, what does Jesus mean when he says that man must be born of water and spirit? What does this water mean? We, we can have different ideas there. Someone said it means John's baptism, because John was being uh, there in the area baptizing people of repentance. Some say, well, it means Christian church baptism, the water there. Others would say it means it has to do with the physical birth and all the fluids connected with it. But I think probably the best answer is that it speaks of that, that purification, that cleansing, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and the Spirit cleanses us. There's a passage in Ezekiel, chapter 36, Verses 24 through 27, and I want to read you. I think this really clarifies for us what this water and spirit is. And God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and to be careful to obey my rules. Whereas God here is talking about renewal of the nation of Israel, he didn't mean when he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you. He didn't mean... He was literally going to sprinkle water, but it's just a way of saying, I will cleanse you. And as we are cleansed physically, 
He will cleanse us spiritually. Titus 3, 5 and 6 says, He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he pours out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Jesus was saying here, is the power of the new birth comes through the Holy Spirit. Only God can change our hearts. Every Christian's testimony is the fact that God reached down in our lives and touched us. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2 where it says that you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But the Spirit of God made us alive in Christ Jesus. We see this throughout God's Word. In Acts 16, 14, as Paul was speaking, it says that Lydia, a seller of purple goods, was listening. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to hear Paul and to understand. The Lord opened her heart. Chuck Colson was a man that many of us know back in the 70s. He was caught up in this Watergate thing with uh, with. President uh, Richard Nixon, and when everything came out, um, it changed his life. Time magazine says that he, there was not a man tougher, wilier, or nastier. At one point, he says he would walk over his grandmother to get what he wanted politically. As everything came out, of course, those of you who know the story, a friend of his talked to him about putting his faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that he did trust Christ, but it's very interesting as he talked about that whole process of, of making a decision. And he says, as I struggled with the issues and made that commitment, I knew the time had come. I could no longer sidestep that central question. Was I to accept without reservation Jesus Christ as my Lord? It was like a gate was before me. I either could walk through the gate into the kingdom or I could remain out. He says, I chose to walk through the gate into the kingdom. Of course, his autobiography that tells his story is born again. Well, as Jesus continues to answer Nicodemus's questions, he uses an earthly example of the wind to illustrate the new birth. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, he says. We've seen this past year, this, earlier this year, the power of wind all across the Midwest and the Southeast, where tornadoes just destroy things. We can't see the wind itself. We see broken down buildings. We see trees swaying. We see grass moving. We see the effects. We can't see what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives or lives of others, but we can see the effects as He changes our lives. In the same way, I'm reminded of Ezekiel 37 again. If you remember that passage, where God's Spirit comes to the valley of dry bones, meaning dead, deadness, spiritually, 
It says that God's people were revived as the Spirit came along. Well, ever more frustrated and confused, Nicodemus asks, asks Jesus a third question. He says, what does this mean? What are you talking about? How can these things be? Verse 10 of the passage there, Jesus says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And Moses, and as Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, G so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus' words were a gentle rebuke to Nicodemus. Again, he's a teacher of the people of Israel. He knew God's word. And he says to him, don't you know this? But he uses an illustration, again, that took place here on earth, illustration, and many of you may remember back in Numbers 21, Israel was murmuring and grumbling, and God sent the snakes, and they were dying. And God told Moses to form a brass serpent, put it on a stick, and lift it up. And those who looked to the serpent were saved physically. They lived. In the same way, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus that Jesus Christ be lifted up on the cross and all who look to him will be saved spiritually. As I mentioned earlier, all belief is not saving belief. I'm sure that we could go to some Muslims today or to some Jehovah Witnesses or various groups and they'll tell you that Jesus was a good man and they believe in him. Muslims would say that he was a prophet. You'll find within the Jewish communities people who will say good things about Jesus. But Christ is saying here that there's a definite faith that we need. Well, after all these three, these rounds of questions, these three questions, it's clear, I think, that Nicodemus at that point had not been born again. He grew more and more frustrated. He refused to trust Jesus' testimony. And because he refused to trust Jesus' testimony about elementary things, he couldn't understand the deeper things. And those who refuse to believe Jesus on biblical terms cannot understand the message of salvation. Well, was Nicodemus ever born again? Was he ever saved? I think there's some good evidence that he might have been. We see in chapter 7 that the Jewish leaders were trying their best to trap Jesus. They were doing everything they could. Nicodemus spoke up and he said, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing or learning what he, what he does? And they replied to him, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet comes from Galilee. And the last time that we see Christ is when he, uh, uh, Nicodemus is at the foot of 
the cross of Jesus Christ when he helps Joseph move the body down from the, the cross into his tomb. I don't know where you are today in your walk with God. It was made very clear that it's not about knowing what God's word is. It's not about what family you come from. Are you confused? Is your faith adequate? Are you still looking for some signs from God? Do you come to church because your wife comes or because your husband comes? Or teenagers and children, do you come simply because mom and dad come? Bottom line is, does it matter who you are or what you do? It's a question of, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? John 3.16 is a verse that we all know. Kind of a transition from this passage to the next. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You hear in church, that doesn't mean that you're saved. We've been talking about children's ministries. I want to remind us again that we as a church, and you as parents of children, we need to be committed to teaching our children these stories behind us. I forgot to mention, there's this flammograph of Nicodemus at night talking to Jesus. We as a church, and you as parents, we need to come together to teach our kids the stories about Jesus Christ, the stories about God throughout the Old and New Testament. Well, this time, as we close up, I'd like for the prayer counselors to come up. And I'd like for you, as you consider, where are you today? And maybe you've trusted Christ, but maybe there's some issues you've got. Maybe there's someone that you love who doesn't know Christ.